Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. So, it's Advent. It is also, just so you know, oh, Children, go with Kristen. K through second. Head to the back. Thank you for the wave. So Advent is also the beginning of the Christian year. We are happy new year. We are kicking off the new year. We as Christians have a different calendar because we are expected to operate in God's time and move differently than the rest of the world does. And so our calendar of the new year does not coincide with that of the world. And so as we come into this season, it is the season of light. And you're gonna see that over and over again throughout, um, throughout Advent. We see it in, in the light that we Um, the Advent candles that we light. We see it in our own decorations at home, on our tree, on our house. We see it in all these different ways. And that's what we're gonna be talking about is light in the silence. And so we're gonna dig into Isaiah today and we're gonna talk about where that, that idea of that silence comes from as well and where that light comes from. Light has been a part of who God is and the way he makes himself known since creation. In Genesis, it says, light overcame the darkness. So we can see God's light shining through from the very, very beginning. And today we're gonna be in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and we're gonna be talking about how the light has gone out for Israel. When we read the Psalms, when you read the songs of lament, many of them are tied to that time. And they're, they're talking about the ways that they don't feel connected to God, where they don't see God, and they're crying out for God, and where is God in the midst of this? In a nutshell, Assyria, the, the empire of Assyria, has basically snuffed out that light. And they are in a time of slavery and oppression. They're in a time of darkness, and evil is abounding. Isaiah had warned them over and over again that there are consequences to your actions and those consequences are going to be dark and heavy. And so that is the time that Israel is in. They can't see the light right now. And so Isaiah is offering words of hope to them through his prophecy. And we're gonna be in Isaiah chapter nine, verses one through seven this morning. So let me read this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And now begins a poem. So this is Isaiah's poetry here. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, 
as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. And here's why. Here's why that joy will abound. Because for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think it's important to know that that is poetry, that Isaiah's words are poetry, because when poetry is used to communicate poetry, It's not just so that we know something. We can know things, but poetry helps us feel them and it helps us experience them. And that's what Isaiah is trying to communicate. This isn't something that I just want you to know. This is something that I want you to feel. This is something that I want you to experience. This hope that I'm offering is something that I want you to feel in your heart and in your mind. And the type of hope that he's talking about isn't the, I hope you have a good day, I hope my team wins. It's not just an outlook or something that we wish for. It's something deeper because it's something based on what God wants for us. It's based on his promises. But sometimes we can look at things and look at the world from a different perspective. And so I want us to look at this a little bit. If you know me, you know that I like my Diet Coke and I needed a visual aid today. So we're using Diet Coke, and I also needed a liquid that was dark and you could see in the back. So here we go. I'm gonna pour, and then I want you to let me know. We'll do a raise of hands. Is my glass half full or is it half empty? So raise your hand if it's half full. Where are my optimists in the room? Raise your hand if it's half empty. Ah, pessimists, we stick together, don't we? Yes, thank you. (laughs) So I want us to think about this a little bit. As an optimist, we see this as half full because there's the potential. There's probably more in here. You can fill it up. There's more to go around. There's abundance. There's, There's what you need is there. If you're the pessimist, and you're the planner, like I am, you're like, oh gosh, there's a lot of people here. Are we gonna have enough? Do we need to get some more? Maybe this isn't gonna be enough. What could happen? It could get spilled, it could get knocked over, and then we have to use the rest that we have in the can, but maybe then it won't be enough then. That's the pessimist in us. (laughs) Things could always go worse than expected at times. But I want us to think about this. Can you be a pessimist and be a Christian? Are we supposed to be hopeful all the time and therefore be optimistic all the time and optimistic in all of our circumstances? Or can we do that? But I think the answer lies that neither one is based on God's promises. And that when we have hope, when we have that biblical hope that is based on God's promises, we turn away from kind of a secular, rational way of looking at the world 
It's just an approach to the world. That's all it is. It's how we solve problems. It's how we approach those problems. And we can do it from an optimistic viewpoint or a slightly pessimistic one. But when we're in the midst of those problems, neither one of those approaches is going to solve that problem. Neither one of them is going to meet us at a point when we're in darkness and feeling separated from God that's going to provide us answers for that. As a pessimist, you can see what can go wrong. And optimism can be naive because we can look around and see a world, see a world where there are daily crises that come at us one after another. Scripture offers that alternative. It offers an alternative to that rational and secular idea. What do you do when things are not getting better? What do you do when you're Israel and you're suffering the consequences of that disobedience and the the kings who have made such terrible and horrible uh, decisions because they forgot God's covenant with them and they ignored what God called them to do? How do you do that? The time between Isaiah that we're talking about right here and the time when Jesus comes on the scene is 700 years. That's a long time to go feeling separated from God, feeling like you were in the darkness. Assyria has essentially, the the empire of Syria has essentially put the lights out on Israel. They are an oppressed people who are being held in horrible conditions in their lives. They don't see God in it at all. I mean, 700 years is a long time. I get impatient when I go to Chick-fil-A and I have to wait in the line for more than 10 minutes. Can you imagine generation after generation after generation of it not seeming to get any better? But Christian hope, the hope that Isaiah is offering to us in scripture, what he's trying to remind Israel of, the hope of God keeps us focused on what God is doing, not our circumstances. Hope is based on God's promises, not on a perspective of the world. Because those promises are based on God's character, and those promises mean that God is constantly striving to redeem and save us. We can stop and look around and see where evil is erupting everywhere, and that's where Israel was. They're seeing true evil all around them, and they're wondering, where is God? Is there any reason to hope? Where is the light in the darkness? And we can find ourselves wondering that at times as well, on a personal level, and as a world, as a community, we can start to wonder that. We can start to wonder where God is. But Isaiah is offering a hope that's going to be fulfilled in Jesus. He's offering God's hope. Let's look at what he offers and he talks about when the light comes back on. He's telling them what it's going to be like when that light comes back on in verse 3. The nation will be enlarged. Their joy will be increased. They will rejoice like a people at harvest. They've worked and toiled, and now they're going to see and get to reap that same feeling that we have when we get to reap the benefits of that harvest. The yoke that burdens them will be gone. Slavery and oppression will be gone. 
And I love this one too. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for fire. It will no longer be needed. We see all these beautiful promises that God is telling them about that unto them there will be a light. They will see a great light for those living in the land of deep darkness. And this is what it's going to feel like. And then in verses 6 through 7, he explains how that's going to be fulfilled and what that light is going to look like. And this is what it's going to look like. A child will be born. A son will be given. The government will rest on his shoulders. And listen to the words to describe him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. That hope, those promises are going to be fulfilled. He's giving us this picture, giving Israel a picture of what that hope looks like. But what the people experience and what they think that hope is going to look like isn't quite what God has in store when Jesus arrives. A counselor isn't just someone who gives advice or something. In in their context, a counselor is a military strategist. He's a wonderful counselor. That's a military strategist or an advisor. And then he's called son, but then there's mighty God and everlasting father. So the father is the son. The son is the father. He's the prince of peace. How are you a military advisor and a strategist and yet the prince of peace? Sometimes we don't understand the way God answers, the way that he provides the promises that he has made and how those are unveiled to us and how they're revealed to us. God's light shines in in amazing and unexpected ways because he is always working to redeem and save us from our circumstances and from our sin. Even when we look at the scripture, it says he's gonna bear the government on his shoulders Jesus never does that, does he? But he does. What does he bear on his shoulders? He bears a cross from the Roman government. He bears that on his shoulder and walks with that. His crown, he was, he was crowned a king with a crown of thorns. He was raised up and exalted because he was raised up on a cross. And justice was found through his death. Biblical hope is about trusting God's promises to be filled in creative and surprising ways. It's when we start to rely on our own plans and our own understanding that things don't go well. When we rely on our own perspective. When we forget that that light comes from God, that hope comes from God, it comes from Him, and it's revealed to us through His Word and through His promises. This is the light. This is God's love fulfilled, God's promises fulfilled, hope fulfilled, light overcoming the darkness in Jesus. This is what Isaiah is holding out as hope. And when you think about it, how that applies for us as well, when we're talking about a people who were going through something for 700 years, you know they had to be asking Where is God? How often do we ask it when we see some tragic circumstance? 
Where is God in the midst of that? We ask that of ourselves when, even in our personal lives, when marriages are falling apart, when there's a diagnosis of cancer or dementia, the loss of a loved one, depression or addiction or mental illness. In those moments, it feels like the light has gone out. It feels like we don't know where God is. And sometimes we even think, it seems like God is for everyone else but me. That those promises and that hope is for everyone else but me. And that's not true. Christmas can be hard for some of us. It can be a time where we're reminded of, of, our, of a recent loss, of maybe our childhood wasn't, the holidays weren't filled with happy memories. For others, it can be this wonderful time of light and grace and love and hope. But here's the beautiful thing. Hope is not based on your circumstances. Hope is not based on your perspective. Hope is based on the promises of God. Nobody thought that God's plan would come out the way it did. Israel was expecting something very different from Jesus. I mean, think about it. You've got this guy who was baby, who was born in a little bitty podunk town. For three years, three years he's in ministry. And that's it. And then he goes to a cross and dies one of the most shameful ways that you could die in that time. And he's resurrected from that. And he comes back because he loves us, because our God sent him as our Savior. God breaks through in amazing and wonderful ways. The light always breaks through in the darkness. God meets us in the valley. He meets us in those moments when it seems like the lights don't come back on, when they're not coming back on. We moved to our house uh, about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, and our kids were relatively little at the time. And so you know this, if you have children, they don't tend to turn out lights. When they leave a room, they leave the lights on. According to my father, I probably cost him thousands of dollars over my lifetime in the 18 years I lived at home. So my husband came up with this idea. He was gonna put lights with timers on them on their closet doors and the bathrooms. So that way they just, when they, the room was empty for a few minutes, the light just went out automatically. Great idea. Works great in a closet. You go in, you get your stuff, you go out, light goes on, goes off a few minutes later. But bathrooms are a little different story. Here's why. Because when you're in the shower in the bathroom and you're behind the shower curtain, <laughs> the lights go off after five minutes, which is not a bad timer to remind your kids to get out of the shower. So, I mean, there is some, some genius to this plan, but the lights go out on you. And then there's also the moment if you sit on the toilet a little bit too long, <laughs> the lights go out. And we had to explain this to our guests sometimes when they would come and visit us, that, that the lights are going to go out. You got five minutes to take care of business and that's it. <laughs> But you find yourself having to wave your arms outside of the, the shower curtain, like, I'm still here, I need the lights on. 
And I feel like that's what Israel was doing. I feel like that's what we do sometimes in our own lives. Like, hello, God, I'm still here. Where are you? The lights have gone out. But God's promises remind us that the light is still there. That the light breaks through the darkness. It's a surprising way that God has worked out our salvation in these beautiful and amazing ways. Like I said, no one thought that this plan that we have of Jesus would have worked out the way it did. That wasn't who they were looking for. It wasn't the Savior they were looking for. It wasn't the light that they were looking for. But the good news is that love is more powerful than death, and love and light are more powerful than the darkness. Jesus conquered death by losing his life on the cross because God's purpose is always to save and bless and restore. God's purpose is always to save and bless and restore. Whether that is us as an individual, as a community, or all of Israel that God is speaking to. Jesus came and conquered death by losing his life on the cross. And that hope, that hope stands on its own because God's promises can be trusted. It's maybe not what we expected, and sometimes we don't recognize it at first, but we know that that light can be trusted that it's going to come back on. It's when we start to rely on our own way of the light that we think that we have instead of looking to God's light and God's promises and God's righteousness. When I went to the Grand Canyon, um, we were hiking out that night and it was, it was nighttime and so we had headlamps. And when I happened to be hiking, it was not even a, a moon at all. So there was really no light shining. There were the stars in the sky, but there was no light to see by. So without a headlamp on, it was pitch black. And as you're hiking up out of the canyon, you have the canyon wall on one side, and then you pretty much have, you know, what looks like an abyss of darkness <laughs> over on this side of you. <laughs> and when you have your headlamp on, you can see what's right in front of you. So when my light was on, I could only see what was right in front of me. But every once in a while, we would stop to drink, to get a little snack as we were going up, and we would need to recharge our lights. And so we would turn all of our lights off. And we also had made this promise to each other that we would make sure that we enjoyed the walk up. And so we would take that time to also just sit in the darkness, the complete darkness. And it feels like you're surrounded by darkness. Like there is nothing else, no one else around. You feel really isolated and alone. But then when you turn your own light out and you look, you can start to see down the canyon and there's all these other headlights coming up the walk. There's even a bunch of some crazy people starting on their walks and coming down, but they're harder to see. But you can see the lights there. If we keep our light and our perspective on, 
instead of leaning into God's hope and God's promises, we can't see the light that is coming. We can't see what God has in store. And we can't see the promises of God in those moments. The purpose of hope is to keep our hearts and our minds alert to what God is doing. Let me say that again. The purpose of hope is to keep our hearts and minds alert to what God is doing. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we don't recognize it. Sometimes it clearly doesn't look like what we expected. But God is always working to redeem and save and restore and bless. And that is what hope is. It's keeping our minds alert to that idea. Because what you hope for is what you live for. And when we, what, when we hope for the light, that light shapes our lives. And it shapes how we live our lives daily. It shapes how we live in the present. When our hope is based on Jesus Christ, when our hope is based on God's promise that he will always not only redeem, but restore and bless us and save us, that he will work in amazing and beautiful ways that are so unexpected. It's one of my favorite things about, about scripture is always reading about the ways that God would take they're kind of normal everyday things and then seems to flip them over. And he helps us to see that what you thought was the way things needed to be done, you weren't even close. Because what I have in store for you, what I have for you, when you respond to my love and grace and mercy and through your obedience, you experience my promises and my hope and my love then it opens up a whole new perspective. It opens up a perspective that's based on something heavenly and not something earthly. What we hope for shapes how we live. And once we've had our eyes open to that, to the crazy ways that God works and does things, the unexpected ways you see it over and over again through scripture in the Old and New Testament, the ways that God comes in and breaks in and meets us in those moments and blesses us. And when we see him in those moments. But Christmas can be hard, like I said, for, for both perspectives. At times, there are times where we feel like God is right there with us we are excited. This is a beautiful time of the year. And then there's times when we feel and we don't anticipate Christmas because of that loss or because of those things that we feel like the light is out on us. But here's the good news. Jesus meets both of you, both instances, both circumstances, and he meets them in beautiful ways. Jesus in his suffering in Gethsemane and on the cross, he called out to God because he did not feel God's presence. He knows what it is to suffer and to feel separated from God. And so if you feel those same things, God is going to meet you right where you are because he understands. He's going to meet you in those moments to show you the light again. He's going to remind you of his promises. He's going to remind you of his hope because it's based on the way that God loves us. 
if we have those moments where we anticipate Christmas and we're so excited about it and we welcome those moments of love and grace and light and you've been listening to Christmas carols since October, (laughs) those are wonderful things and God meets you there as well. It is a time of celebration, of acknowledging the beautiful and wonderful and amazing ways that God has worked in your life and is working and will continue to work. And that's a beautiful approach to the holidays. And there is beauty in both because Jesus is in both. 